Hello, my name is Jacob Miranda, a social psychologist and assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at California State University, East Bay. And I'm Cassie Witt, a social psychologist and assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Eastern Kentucky University. Together, we are the hosts of Corrupting the Youth, a podcast about the teaching of psychology. If you love psychology, education, or both, then this is the podcast for you. Hello, 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 beautiful people. Welcome back to season three, episode two. Cassie, how are you? I am ready to talk about the job market again, Jacob. I'm glad you're excited to talk about it. I'm glad to be off that job market. (laughs) I know it. It's sort of like, let's pass on wisdom to the other side, but thank God I'm not in your shoes. (laughs) I literally just crossed to the other side and immediately I think, okay, let's get out of there. Uh, I was even telling you like right before we started recording, uh, as I was reviewing our timeline, of like, like, when did I start like contacting people and doing stuff like my letters of reference and whatnot? Um, it was almost a year today, one year ago, late August, I was like, hey, letter writers, it's me, um, which so is exciting. wild to me. <laughs> That's been a one year and a drastic change. Yeah. So really, tis the season, which is also why I titled my email to them, <laughs> tis the season for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess maybe one thing we should do at the beginning is sort of address the passage of time. Uh, so the episode that our listeners will have heard before this one, right? So Job Market Part 1 was recorded uh, way back in uh, March, I think, of 2023. And so now we're sitting at the end of August. <laughs> um, so we definitely gave our spoilers, right, that we both got new jobs and had like recently been on and then off the job market. Um, but now we've actually started those jobs. Woo, woo. Yep. We just ended, I think I believe I ended my first week and you just finished your second. My second. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's been, oh, that could be a different episode. The whirlwind of like starting your job for the first Hey, out of the future season four. Here we go. <laughs> we already got Absolutely. season three planned out. But yeah, I should take notes. It's as an aside of just me, it's like it's wild. It's fun. My department's lovely. The people here are lovely. The students amazing. But oh my God, it's so much work. It's like it and is. everyone tells you that. And like I, I completely understand why they give you a reduced teaching load and a reduced service load and all these things. Cause if I had to do any more of that, I'm like, I'm like. The to-do list just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just like, like when you start your lab, well, you need to interview RAs, but like, hey, you have this new course, but like, hey, you also have to da, da, da. I'm not sure. It's like a never ending and like everyone wants to meet you and everyone's excited for you. And everyone just wants yeah. like one hour of your time a week. But then like yeah. when 20 people just want one hour of your time a week, it's like. Ah, in a good way. Yeah. Like, ah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, you'll be in your office and you're like, okay, I'm going to get this stuff graded. I'm going to prep these lectures. I'm going to, you know, start making plans to complete this IRB application. And then people want to stop by and like ask how you're doing, which is really, really lovely. That happened Ask-y, to me yesterday. Know, absolutely. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then, like, 
And then you end up talking uh, for forever, way longer than you plan to. Um, yeah. So like, that's one of the things that, you know, if, if you are on the job market right now, plan for that your first semester at a new position, right? You're going to have a lot to do. But And to be fair, every, it's not like it came as a surprise to me. It's just like everyone tells you it. And like, there's something about actually going through it, though. Mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. like and this is me where i feel like super extra supported which i'm glad if i didn't i'd be like i'd pull out the my non-existent hair cassie like that's where i would be right now yeah and oh uh, yeah it's so exciting it's it, the first the first little bit is very draining because you know you are you're getting acclimated to a new environment and like working with new people. And then suddenly you're in this position where you're faculty and no longer a student. Um, But it really does help to be in a place where, yeah, you feel excited and you feel supported and you feel valued. Oh yeah. Can I share a quick, like a peach, like a, like highlight? Yeah. I have started my RA interviews for this weekend going into my week two. And when I say the students here are amazing, the students here are amazing. Like I'm working with possibly like dreamers here. I'm working with a lot of students who are a little bit older than like 17 or 18. I think like the average age here is 25. A yeah. lot of them are like Latino, people of color, Asian American. And just like listening to them where I'm not sure if they're just blowing gas in my head or anything, but they're like, I've never seen a professor say like, you know, they have ADHD and I have ADHD. We're like, it, like they'll come to me and they're like, I'm glad to see like, because our people, it shows our people can overcome and make, I'm like, Oh my god, I'm like, awesome. you know, awesome. like, yeah, I didn't get any of that. That makes <laughs> me want to tear up. Oh, that Jacob. So happy. I was yeah. like, oh my god, if I could hire all the RAs, I would. Yeah, yeah. How are you going to choose? That's yeah. <laughs> A different Someone thing. Give I, us do you know advice, what I need to yeah. do, Cassie? This is going to be complete promo for our podcast for people who already listen. I want to listen back to our old episode with um with Dr. John Gore. Yeah, he's yes, now one of my, my colleagues. Yeah, because the whole point of the episode was like, how do you start a lab? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he had good how, advice. There. How do you, how start, do you a start a lab? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent question. Yeah, I was just touring the uh, the basement of our building looking for lab space. <laughs> oh how does it work in your institution? We hunt it down. Finders, keepers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Of- uh, but so how about I, you? Any I do highlights on your that. end? Oh, well, uh, what's a highlight? Besides seeing me, of course. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I feel like something, there was something I was like, that's going to be my peach on the podcast, right? Because I specifically look for those. I I think one of my peaches for sure has been the ability to like reconnect with people that I knew when I was here. Um, so like I'm in a unique position, perhaps not that unique, where I return to like be a faculty member at my alma mater. Um, so like I am now like working alongside people who <laughs> were my teachers, um, which has been a really, really cool experience. Um and I've like, you know, already been recruited to do some things like co-advise psychology club, <laughs> you know, and like mentor like 
an honors student and, you know, like I had someone from the the honors program, which I was a part of here at EKU as an undergrad, be like, I know you're interested in teaching an honors class sometime soon. Like here's this session we're doing on how to do that. So I don't know. It's just been really exciting to be in a place where I truly do feel valued and you know, I feel like my worth is is seen and there are now these opportunities for me to be a part of, you know, programs that meant so much to like who I became. Uh, well, uh, Cassie, I'm really glad to hear about your peach, especially of that people, you know, that you feel welcome to where you are and you're going back to your roots. All right, Cassie, you mentioned it a little bit before. However, I just realized one of my filler words is saying your name as I'm collecting my thoughts. In case anyone ever wonders, Cassie, Cassie, Cassie. I say Cassie and I'm just like me in my head. I'm like, what am I about to say right now? So Cassie, like I'm doing right now. You mentioned previously that we recorded John Markets part one way back when, a few months ago. So maybe mm-hmm. some of the stuff we're going to say might be a little bit repeat because, you know, it's been a hot minute. But I think we're going to add a lot more, right? So it might be like a 5% repeat as we kind of edge into it again. Um, but and I think you know, it's important. Jacob, yeah. Remember, repetition is a pedagogical tool. Yeah. So right? us saying the same things over and over and over again is to your benefit, listener. You're <laughs> welcome. You don't have to thank us, but if you did, <laughs> we have Twitter or X. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Tweet or X at us, whatever it's called right now. We want to be your X. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I have to make an Elon joke in there somewhere because what the hell? Yep. Yeah, you do. But to your point, though, I think we where we left off is we talked about like the types of materials that you would need, right? So we mm-hmm. talked about how you have to prepare for a cover letter, how you have to start thinking about your teaching philosophy, even if you're like in your first or second year of graduate school, thinking about it now, thinking about, especially if you're in the state, diversity statements are becoming really popular, So we have teaching statements, diversity statements, and of course, your research statement, right? Thinking about themes in your research, having people, your advisor, your peers come into your classroom and start thinking of like, can I have a teaching observation letter? So we talked about talking to your students and can I have a student letter of record? Like it was a really good student or someone you're mentoring. And so you cut all these materials, but now the question is, what actually is the job market timeline, right? And I would say, based off when I started doing it, now, this month, August, or late August, is the time. I'm not sure. Would you say, like, earlier, later, like, what would, do you agree with that, Cassie? I'm not sure if your your experience might also be very different than mine, because I'm doing it, like, in 2022, 2023, and you kind of have a variety of experiences different than mine. Yeah, so I, when I was on the job market the first time, I started preparing my materials, yeah, early August, maybe late July, because I knew I wanted um, Alexa, mine and Jacob's PhD advisor, I knew I wanted her to like review those. Um, And I wanted to give her like time to be able to do that. But I definitely think that um, many job applications start opening up in August for academic positions. And so like making sure that your materials are done, especially by earliest September, um, I think is in your best interest. Right. And the only asterisk I would add to that of your materials being done 
is just always recalling that there's sometimes universities that want like very specific diversity statement questions. Right. Or they'll say like, here's our webpage on the job description of our mission and values. Please speak to how you achieve diversity within our schools. So as a little asterisk, when you say done, the template, the meat's still all there, but like the right. flourishes, right. the personalization can sometimes and- differ. And I think that we talked about that in the last episode as well, in that you were going to have to customize every single application that you submit, right? So it's good to have like your core diversity statement and teaching dossier and all of that put together, but you're still every single time you are going to have to adapt your materials in some way specifically to what that university or, or college or institution is looking for. Sure. And so from there, I would say we talked about like making sure you hunt for the right school, school that aligns with your values, thinking about location, thinking about is it an R1? Is it a PUI? Is it like what type of school does it fit? That being said, I think one of the most helpful things and probably like our newer information now is a resource that you actually gave me, Cassie. And it was like this Excel sheet that was like a tracker. Mm-hmm. And it was like very, very organized and very, very conscientious. I added some color coding on Thanks. my end that probably made it <laughs> less easier to understand, but it was helpful for me. But it was very much of like name of institution, state that this is going in, job description, put it in here, put in when do they want the application deadline? When are they going to do a first review? When are they going to do a final review? Like a lot of that information is in job descriptions. Not for all job descriptions, but it can be. There's the potential for it to be there. And you had like a very organized system that I like, I loved. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I love love some organization. Um, Yeah, and I think that our plan for this episode too is to share a lot of the resources that that we have. So that Excel template is something that we will link in our show notes for this episode. Um, But I do think it's just so helpful when you're on the job market, because I don't know, we talked about just the sheer number of applications that we both submitted, um, right? Like I I know someone who's submitted close to a hundred applications. And so being able to keep track of like all of that information, like when things are due and maybe you want to, you know, go back and review. So, you know, I think part of that spreadsheet was like including a link to the job ad. Um, it's, it's just nice to have all of that information in like a searchable kind of condensed format. Especially for me who I, I think it would be perfect. I'm less conscientious than you. You're a much more organized <laughs> person. I really admit that, Cassie. You're just like amazing. You know, um, but it wasn't only helpful for me. So, like, once you've identified like your letter writers, what I did was have like either a OneDrive or like a Google Sheet, mm-hmm. where every time I update this of like where I've applied, where I'm interested, the level of priority I put onto it, I. Way back when contacted, I had four letter writers for me, including mm-hmm. Alexa, our advisor. And I let them know, like, here's the master Excel sheet. You could always come back here to check in of like where I've applied. And also not just deadlines for you to apply. The, so those sometimes those deadlines can sometimes be your letter writer's deadlines. Not always, but mm-hmm. sometimes. And sometimes there are systems that will send an automatic email to them. And sometimes the expectation is you have to independently go to your letter writer and say, here's right. an email address. Can you independently email this to them? Yeah. And and I think providing your letter writers with access to that spreadsheet where it does outline 
this is how the letter needs to be submitted is incredibly helpful for them, right? Because like most of the time your letter writers are like your professors that you have in graduate school who were probably very, very busy people. And then you're over here applying for like 40 jobs, maybe blowing up their email with like 40 letter request emails. And so it's just, I think, courteous. So to, to allow them to like have this this information, right? Access to this information. And as part of that, I will also say, right, in preparing your materials for your applications, it's a good idea to ask your letter writers to be your letter writers well in advance oh, so yes. that they have enough time to plan for that and to craft you a letter that is probably going to get you a job, you know? Okay. So also sit down and chat with them tell them about what your ideal school is like what you want out of life share with them those teaching diversity and research statements like give them the tools help them help you absolutely and so when i sent that initial email to my letter writers in august of tis the season you know of jobs first question i asked is how can i make your life easier right i asked like do you want me to give you weekly updates do you want me just to check in if i haven't heard from you do you want like i basically asked them what they wanted because um, as I'm sure you just mentioned, everyone's really, really busy. You're trying to reduce their cognitive load and make their life very simple, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to trust them that they're going to do what they're going to do without like being in their face all the time, mm -hmm. right? Unless they ask for it and they, so they prefer, but like meet them where they're at because they're doing yeah. you a favor. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So August goes by, at least when I started applying, September, October, November, December is yep. job postings, job postings, job postings. Sometimes the application would be on a website called Interfolio. Sometimes the application would be like the HR's own personalized like submission portal. Sometimes this only happened for one college. They said, email it to the chair, I think. Um, and we want all your documents in a single Word document, but then saved as a PDF. And so they're like, we don't want separate file or attachments. We email us a single PDF, everything in one. So there are a lot of different styles, the same materials, but how they like cut, chop, and want it submitted can sometimes differ from place to place to place. Yep. There are places you can go. So this might be a little bit psychology specific, but in general academia as well, right? Um, there is what's very popular is a psych wiki board. So there's a whole wiki board dedicated for, and again, it's volunteer run, right? There's not like an expert curator of that. So sometimes the postings can be a bit old, but basically people in the community will say like, this school is opening. Hey, my school has a job. Hey, my school has a job. Um, other people will be like, I actually heard from this job. Or three people will be like, actually, they just made me an offer. I think this application is closed. And that's kind of important information to know because oftentimes on the employers and they kind of just ghost to like, if they don't want you, you just don't hear from them. And you're like, do I wait? That happened to me. I had a zoom interview with the university and I won an award, like a, that big teaching award. And I emailed them like, this was after the zoom interview had happened. And I was like, just wanted to send you like an updated copy of my CV because I won this award and I just, I never heard anything back from them, like at all. I think it's more common to submit an application and then just hear nothing back. But like for schools where you got like a, at least an initial like phone interview or Zoom interview, like they just ghosted me and I was like, 
I mean, that's cool, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But you bring up another good tip in that story, though. If things are happening in the places you've already applied to and haven't heard back yet, like an award or like an achievement or like a publication, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, not pressure or anything. I just want to let you know that there is this recent adjustment I want to make um, that strengthens my application. Want to let you know, have a pub or have what Cassie is with the best doctoral teacher in all of the University of California. Yeah, I was awarded the most outstanding teaching by a doctoral student for the all of the University of Alabama. Now I can't uh, even say Alabama, but yeah. Yeah, it's feels <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but those are places you can go. So the wiki, other places you can look at are Facebook. A lot of people, mm-hmm. especially for like me, I was really interested in teaching focused job. The Society for Teaching Psychology, the STP, has a Facebook page. If you go to a, main, a lot of the societies themselves, so SPSP for social psych, STP, et cetera, typically they have job bulletin boards that things post. Right. And what's really interesting is that I would say there usually is like 80 to 90% overlap, but there's, there's some hidden gems where you're like, this is posted nowhere else. This seems like a dream job. And yeah. you only would have known because you'd looked at that one board. Yep. Um, and I know in our part one, like job market episode, um, we talked about where to look for jobs as well. And so if you haven't listened to that episode or looked at the show notes for that episode, we highly encourage you to go do that because we include links to a lot of these websites that we are talking about, like the the psych jobs wiki and higher ed jobs and things like that. Oh, have I already brought this up before? Oh, whoops. Cassie, just remind me. It's okay. It's Okay. <laughs> All right, then you get the first email. Hi, Cassie, your application really stood out to us. Would you be interested in meeting with us for a 15, 30 minute, one hour Zoom call? Well, at least that's what I got. I got a yep. quick 15 one that was like fast, fast, fast. I got a 30 minute one, which I think was the most modal for me. And a couple mm-hmm. were like a full on hour long session. What was your experience mm-hmm. for like that first interview as far as like logistic wise? I'd never had a 15 minute one. That is so fast. Um, mm-hmm. But mine ranged from 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and most of them were were 30 minutes. Um, the, the hour long ones, honestly, like you, you think an hour is such a long time. But once you get talking with people, it it's honestly not, not that bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think probably I started submitting like the bulk of my applications um, in September. And then I think by the end of that month, I had people reaching out about these initial stage one interviews. So I will say that typically the way that academic job interviews happen is there's usually some sort of phase one interview known as a phone interview but really is typically a Zoom interview, sometimes a Microsoft Teams interview, right? It, it, it occurs through like some online video format. Um, and these are generally shorter. And then, you know, if you go through that phase one interview and, you know, they like you, then typically not too long after that, you will be extended an interview that is on campus, um, and so at that point, right, like that's usually like a day or two. Um, and we'll, we'll talk sort of about, I think 
the structure of a Zoom interview, right? Or that phase one interview first, and then we'll get into some of more of the the structure of the on-campus interview. Mm, sure. As far as like the structure of the Zoom interview, um, there's a different types of interview styles that some of you might be familiar with. Not. Um, uh, the most common is kind of the interview everyone thinks of, which is like an unstructured interview. This is, uh, there are several people. Um, I think minimum I ever had was like two. Um, and maximum I had were like 10 people in the Zoom call. Um, those people typically range from people who are on your search committee for their position or for their university. So it might be two or three like main people who are heading the search. I've had chairs kind of like just sit in and visit, but weren't part of the search committee. Um, and in one case, I had an undergraduate student who was, I think, like the president of Psychi, right? And I thought it was pretty cool. They're like, hey, we want the undergraduates to see like the hiring process and what that looks like, like sit in. And so you can imagine that in an unstructured interview, everyone's just kind of like asking questions or like maybe they have like a list of questions generally that they want to ask, but it's not super rigid, and then there are certain um, interviews that are very, very rigid. They'll preface it with saying like, hey, to let you know, we have questions one through six. We're going to ask you to take three minutes to answer each one. We will be taking orders. Jacob will go first. Cassie will go second. In that way, um, please only answer the questions that we asked. And we will not ask you any follow-up questions to clarify. We are doing this for all applicants. Please turn mm -hmm. off your camera. Or sometimes they'll even tell you beforehand, Please like keep your camera off when you enter the Zoom room. And it's like a very standardized, very and the Iowa psychology to me loves standard uh, structured interviews. Like those are great. Mm -hmm. The human person in me yeah. absolutely hates them. I, I could not imagine. So I never had a structured interview that was that structured. What? Most of mine, yeah, most of mine, they had maybe four or five standard questions and they would go around the call and everybody would ask me one of the questions and then they would open it up like do you have any questions for us which the answer is yes you absolutely do have questions for them i imagine um, a listener hearing you and you're like no no i don't and cassie just come in yes you do <laughs> you better ask <laughs> the number one question that you will be asked when you do a Zoom interview or an on-campus interview is, do you have any questions for us? You will be asked that question so many times. And I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but probably the biggest piece of advice is to prepare questions. Um, but oh, yeah. Let's elaborate on that for a little bit then. Yeah. How do you prepare questions? Because I have my way, but I'm not sure if you wanted to go first and share like what your approach was to... Because maybe you came in with like a, I kind of like a mixed approach of like a standard way, but a personalized way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was definitely given advice, right, about what kinds of questions are appropriate to ask at, at certain points in the interview process, right? Like I was told Zoom interview, like that's not really the time to talk about salary and things like that which i don't you know maybe that's not good advice but that's advice that i followed um and why I mean, that advice I, exists as really quick is that i think i applied to close i think 20s mid 20 25 ish jobs uh -huh. only one actually had the salary in the job description yeah just in case anyone was wondering it's like why why would you have to figure out salaries because like they don't 
usually disclose that to you as an interjection, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really valuable interjection. Um, I typically used the phase one interview um, as an opportunity to ask like the super basic questions that maybe were not in the job ad. So like, what is the teaching load? What do like, what does the typical student at this university or, or institution look like? Um like something that I would want to know in order to make an informed decision about whether or not I would want to accept their offer to come to an on-campus interview. Um, and I think usually like asking questions as well, how do I want to phrase this? I think there's also a strategic way to ask questions that then give you an opportunity to brag about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think like picking out those sorts of questions where like, you know, you can talk about something really cool that you did, but then turn it into a question, right? Like maybe you have not had an opportunity to talk much about like ungrading if you do it. And so like they asked you their set of standardized questions and ungrading never naturally came up right so maybe you want to ask a question or like use a question as a way to like brag about this cool thing that you're doing in your classes if that makes sense right a question doesn't have to serve a single purpose it can be twofold right so like being strategic right. with that i don't think there's like any shame in doing that when everyone realizes like this is a job hunt right like people are trying to like this is people pursuing their dream job Absolutely. I would say, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, maybe I can expand upon it because we can talk about like other questions that are commonly asked. How I went about it is I would always do a little bit of personalized research into the school. So like I would type in the school and like go on Google News. Or I would say type in the school psychology department, Google News. And I would like to see like, has anyone won any recent awards recently? Or like, what has people have done cool? Or, like our sports team. So like, oh, do you want to know more about our university or our students? And I can be like, I'm like, oh, I hear, um, you know, EKU that the volleyball team does really well. I'm like, can you tell me a little bit more about like how faculty get involved with students and support like student athletes, you know? Because what you're doing is it's it's almost like actually a very similar strategy to yours, right? It's not necessarily bragging about yourself, but what you're signaling is that you've done, you've taken the time to care enough to actually like look up their team and, you know, Jacob, I think that is the best advice anybody can get on this podcast, right? So like one piece of advice. That's our, that's our salvage. <laughs> that's our starting end. <laughs> okay. So if you take nothing else away from this episode, one, let it be, you need to have questions to ask people because you, you're just going to have to. The second is do your homework. So I have like had the unique opportunity where I have now been on the job market, unique, the lucky opportunity <laughs> now, uh, um, to have been on the job market two years in a row. Um, but that means like I've been on the job market recently, but as faculty, like I also sat in on these decisions about, do we want to extend an offer to someone? And generally like what impresses people the most is recognizing that that job candidate did their homework about the department. You know, like 
that person read my dissertation, like that person knew where I went to school, right? And this is all information that is typically readily available on a department's website about faculty. So I think having a good understanding of like who you're going to be talking to, right? Clearly showing that you've done your research about that department and that university is really going to serve you well. You know, one of the pieces of advice that I got to is like, yeah, you always need to make sure you like look up the university's like mission statement before you go into an interview. And I was like, who is going to ask me about the specific mission statement? And sure enough, sure enough, I was in an interview and they said, what are your thoughts about the university's mission statement? And I said, good thing you asked because I looked it up 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, Don't have attack about <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so again, if you take nothing away from this episode, let it be that you need to prepare questions to ask people and you need to do your homework about who you're going to be talking to. Yeah, definitely. You're showing that you're doing your homework on mission statements with the larger campus, on the students and like student achievements. And then depending on the school, you can kind of get a read for it. Is this like a more of a teaching focused school, a research focused school, or like a hybrid of the two, kind of like mine where it's like a mix of both. And depending on that focus, you can then ask if it hasn't already been shared, hey, I see that you have an office, uh, office of faculty research and development. Can you tell me about what resources are offered that, you know, I would be able to, you know, stuff like that. To your point, just like doing your homework personalizing it and showing that this isn't just uh, you showed up to a Zoom call to give generic answers. Absolutely. And okay, maybe this is a bad metaphor, but think about it like you're dating this school, right? Or you're trying to date this department. And so when you first start dating someone, right, you're trying to see if the two of you are compatible. And so like the first date, right? Think of that as like the Zoom interview, you're asking questions to each other to try to get like a foundation of like who this person may be, right? So it's good to really engage. It's good to ask those basic questions in that setting. And then if they ask you for a second date, right, they ask you to come on campus, right? You want to be prepared for that, right? The worst thing, well, at least to me, one of the worst things is going on a date, right? A second date, especially, and you're the one that's doing all the asking and you're not being asked questions back. That's so annoying. You're not, you're not going to want to be in a relationship with that person, right? On the flip side of that though, Mm -hmm. Just like you're on the second date and you're putting your best foot forward. One, if you're not putting any effort, then you already know it's a bad fit. But also be cognizant that they're showing you, ideally, the best version of themselves, right? They're probably saying, like, let's introduce certain faculty, but maybe not other faculty. Let's make sure we're very careful what we're saying. Like, if our institution's dealing with XYZ issues, like, behind the scenes, like, maybe this isn't the time to bring up our baggage to our applicant right now. So just also be cognizant of don't always wear like the rose colored glasses, right? Like, and it's very exciting when you're there because you made it to like stage two and you're like, oh my God, I'm close. I'm so close. Just don't let your excitement blind you, I would say as well, right? Like be still be critical and still like be asking those tough, relatively tough questions, like showing that you want, you're very interested, but that you value yourself as being right. Like you have standards for yourself. Yeah, I think I think that's a wonderful caveat to that that advice. Mm-hmm. I would say another common question, um, and these are like kind of just a shotgun general questions. 
or sometimes they'll ask you to repeat information straight from your t- teaching or diversity or research statements. And mm-hmm. if you wrote that a month ago or you wrote that in August and now it's October and you don't remember exactly what you said two months ago, it's good to like review your own statements and remember what your big points are because they might be checking for consistency in that. Right? Sure. If you like freak out or freeze and you're like, wait, I thought you took the time to reflect on this. And you're like, I did just, I haven't looked at it in a while. Like that was one of the things I had to actively do and like remind myself, I'm like, these are my values. Here's how I'm marketing myself as a person. And I want to be consistent with that. So what they hear is what they read was what they see that everything is in line, that they don't have any doubts of like, this is who I am. It's almost like branding in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like preparation, right? It's not just like reading up on the people that you're going to be talking to. It's also anticipating questions. It's kind of like preparing for an exam, right? You want to anticipate questions that you are going to be asked, and then you want to practice responding to those questions. And the more you practice, the more comfortable you're going to be like talking about that kind of stuff when you actually are in the interview setting. Um, And I think one of the things we're going to do is like also link for our listeners um, some documents outlining questions to prepare for and also questions to ask people. And like Jacob said, like, you know, you want to remind yourself before you go into any interview, like what your teaching philosophy is, right? Like what kind of research projects you have going, right? Like how you're engaging in like DEI in the lab, you know? So like you want to remind yourselves and that the branding comment, I think is really excellent advice, Jacob, right? Like you want to make sure that you are appearing in a consistent way, right? In person, you, you are who you say you are, right? Right. Because ideally what you want is like not branding to be a bad word, but your brand to reflect your authentic self is how Heck I see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so typically as far as timeline goes, but if a school was interested, it typically her- took four to six weeks on average for me to hear back for that Zoom interview. And they may say like, can you meet in a week or can you meet in like less than a week, two weeks max after that initial contact, right? Um, from there, it might take an additional for me one week if I were to hear back, because this might be where you like kind of get ghosted and it's like, uh, or you mm-hmm. might get like a very, very like one sentence email. It's like, thank you for applying, but we've decided to pursue someone else. Sometimes you don't get that email from the first interview until like three months, until like February. And you're like, well, I talked to you in October. I kind of figured at this point that I was selected. Um, then if you get in the in-person interview, for me around that time, it's, late October, November, maybe even getting to like Christmas season, like around those months, I feel like a lot of when they're flying in their top choices. And so typically how a search goes is like they've identified two or three people who those are the top candidates. And they're saying, we want you to come for an on-campus interview, right? Not the phone interview, not the video call interview on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatnot, but to show up in person. One thing you want to be mindful of and something you might want to be preparing for now, if you're listening to this in August, and I think this is going to release on Labor Day. There are sometimes schools that if they're a smaller school, they might not have the budget to fund that flight. And that's one important information to know because it gives you an insight to like their budgetary resources. Two, it's just basically my advice would be like maybe start saving up a little bit of money 
just in case that you need to pay for like a five hundred or six hundred dollar plane ticket. I know, and I know people are listening, and Cassie, you know this about me, bro. I've grown up in poverty. I'm still poor. I'm still waiting for that first paycheck. I'm constantly living paycheck to paycheck. And that kind of caught me by surprise of, oh, you're you're going to reimburse me, but you're going to reimburse me three months, two months, one month after I put up the money first. That could be a hardship, right? Like it could be a great school, but they just might not have that type of resources for it. And it would really suck for you to like be like, oh, yeah, I can't go because I can't afford it. Now, that's not too common. I think that only happened to me once because uh, I got four. I think the total is four generally. And so only one out of four were like, hey, we need you to put up the money first. We'll reimburse you later. But I still think that's something to plan for just in case. I'm not sure if you had ever had that or if the the school kind of paid for everything and took care of the trouble for you. Yeah. So I only interviewed at places that were within driving distance of where I was at the time. Um, And so I did have to pay for like my, my gas up front and then was reimbursed for that. But the experiences that I had, like the hotel and, you know, food and stuff, right. Like they, they made sure I could go to the dining hall or like they picked me up for dinner um, so I really only had to pay gas expenses up front and was reimbursed for those later. So, and that's good. I'm glad that you have a much different experience for me for somebody. Doesn't, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like flying all across the country and you're like, I stayed lo- local. Local yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I knew that that's what I wanted. So mm-hmm. I figured flying yeah, wasn't in the books for me. We have the full spectrum. Mm-hmm. All right. So what does this in-person interview look like? Well, it could last just one day or it could span across two days. And I think for our one institution, sometimes it can even span across three days. Yep. So often if it was one of the four was just one day, which means I showed up that morning. Uh, it was, I think, like 7.30 a.m. Interview ended at 6 p.m. It's a full day. It's mm-hmm. a full day where you are on, you are dressed. You are, even though we'd be like, be yourself, be friend, you need to dress the part. And this is advice that I don't want to say is common sense. Um, It's advice we probably already know, but maybe it'll do some good to hear it again. Treat everyone authentically with kindness. From the staff who are helping you pay for stuff, to the admin uh, men and women who are helping you aid you, to the students that you run into in the hall, to the custodian, not just to your search committee, not just in front of other faculty. Be kind, because like literally everyone is interviewing you. Absolutely. if you're an asshole, and I hope no one, no one of our listeners, statistically speaking, one of our listeners is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an asshole, you got to reel it in and be like, maybe if I, I need it for, I need to change myself, right? I need to be better. But two, right. maybe, you know, don't be a jerk. Well, I'm serious, Cassie. Like, like, no, I mean, that's, that's good advice. I mean, I just have not imagine. come in yeah. where they just seem haughty or they don't seem like, I think this is, yeah, I, this isn't like a confidential information, but like as graduate students, we did a lot of, we had to show up for a lot of graduate student meetings with prospectives. And there are some prospectives that just seemed like they were like over the moon to be there. And there were some mm-hmm. prospectives that not awkward, not introverts, but just didn't seem to like, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like they're just like, why am I in Alabama right now? Right. It wasn't like awkward. It yeah. was just like disinterested. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, why do we want you here? Then you're supposed to be like our teacher or you want to be or like, I don't know. No, I mean, I think that's solid advice. Um, 
It's kind of scary to think that we could have an asshole listener. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Catherine. Just kidding. All of our listeners are beautiful people who are kind and sweet. And I hope so. I'm the asshole uh, podcaster, so it's okay. I can't. Really, I need to just feel it. From oh, there, funny. though, um, like I said, it could be pretty early. I think the earliest one I had like was like seven a.m. Be ready to go, and they're like willing to pick you up from your hotel. They will typically pick you up from the hotel. They'll drive you on campus. Um, sometimes they do like a very informal style where they're walking around campus, and you're spending time with like a lot, mostly like with one person. And mm-hmm. what they do is like they walk you from like office to office to meet other faculty or they're they're kind of like your chaperone, right? Like they're they're saying like, here's our lunch. I'm going to drop you off with Dr. Witt and Dr. Miranda right now. Or, hey, we're going to drop you off at the chair's office. So you have a 30 minute meeting or with the dean. Oftentimes you can would meet with the dean and people have different questions. Um, sometimes you can tell that they have a plan in place, right? So they might be like Dr. Miranda. He's going to ask teaching-based questions. All his questions are going to be teaching theme. And Dr. Witt might be asking only research questions and asking like what type of lab equipment, lab space, and how uh, I would fit in there. So that's one version of it. Another version of it, it's they bring me to Dr. Witt's office and she's like, hi, I'm Cassie. You know, talk to me. Like, why are you here? Like teaching research. I'm like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then they bring it to Dr. Miranda's office. And I'm like, oh, hi, I'm Jacob. I'm going to ask you the exact same questions that Cassie just asked you again. Yeah, and it's like, they, yeah. and so sometimes it's not really planned. It's just a get to know you. Can I see myself? Can I see you in my tutorial? Can I see myself meeting with you for faculty meetings? Do I think you can serve our students well? Do I think you're doing good research, right? Some people like that. Um, yeah. So those are some meetings, right? That's kind of like round robin. There's that lunch aspect to it. Um, oftentimes, I think it's a good sign if they're really willing to let you meet with students alone, right? Where they're like, and I think every single interview, they did this and they made it very clear, like, we want you to have a very honest perspective on us in our department. Uh, we want you to like, just sit down with your undergraduates, um, you know, like a lunch meeting, like a 30 minute thing, tea, coffee, donuts, they can ask you any questions or if you have questions for them, right? A, a meet and greet. Right. Right. There are sometimes when you go on campus, one to no one shows that happened in one of my four, not a single student showed. And what? I remember the chair and the faculty could, you could tell that they're like, oh no. Like also as a, all places I interviewed, amazing people amazingly sweet people like these are like the nicest of the nice and the job interview i've never been so treated by kind of by such sweet people for all four institutions like they were kind and so like none of them were jerks of that and like so for this one where there's like no one shows like oh my god just sit here blah 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 and so like they brought in this outside faculty and it's like it's okay you know our students are really busy blah blah, blah. i would say don't take that personally right you have to remember mm-hmm. that students, it's it's hard to get your students to come to teaching talks or job demos or research mm-hmm. talks or student meet and greets, right? And so I never felt like, I never felt like, uh, what's the word, insulted that the students don't come. I was like, if I were a student, I'm not sure I would come to one of these things. <laughs> yeah, honestly. So just be mentally prepared that they might prepare stuff for you to like meet students and they might be there. Other times it could be a full room of students. 
So sometimes for whatever incentive, because let's be realistic, they're probably like, hey, if you go, we'll give you extra credit or something like that, right? right. Realistically, you can get like 20 to 30 students to show up to things. I'm like, there's probably some points involved. Um, and they just are like engaged and they want activities and they're like, to, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe Cassie, I'll leave it to you since I've been talking for a long while. Can you talk to me about, I mean, the listener, there's generally two types of talks, right? And sometimes, right. depending on the institution, they make you give both types of talks. Right. Um, the ones I applied to usually was one or the other. And it's like a research talk or like a teaching demo slash talk. What, what is that? Sure. Yeah. So it's extremely common for um, job interviews to include a research talk and a teaching demonstration. And so the research talk um, is you spending, I think in my experience, it was usually an hour um, talking about your program of research. Um, and so it was a research talk, like almost like you might see at a conference in a way, right? Where you're talking, you're going to want to talk about data, uh, right? So you're going to want to talk about some of the research that you have been doing wherever you have been, right? At the, your current institution, or maybe if you're in graduate school, right? As a graduate student. Um, and so if you have like any experience, I think one of the wonderful things about our program at Alabama was that, uh, which it didn't always feel wonderful, but we were required um, to present research once a year to all of the students and faculty in our specific program concentration. And so that provided us, I think, with an opportunity every single year to practice what would ultimately become your research talk in a way. So. I literally took a presentation that I did for this class, like for our concentration seminar and turned it into my research presentation when I did was on the job market. So, you know, hopefully like your program has something built into it like that, where, you know, you get practice, like talking about your program of research. Um, I also did a research talk that where they had specifically asked me to talk about like the the, the broad topics that I researched and how I plan to involve students in my research. So sometimes you also get these very specific requests from schools, um, like in what they want you to talk about. The teaching demonstration, um, you may or may not have. Um, I But it was probably the most common part of my, I, there were definitely interviews that I had where I didn't give a research talk, but they were like, we want you to do a teaching demonstration. Um, granted, I was applying to like teaches, teaching focused institutions. Um, and so the teaching demonstration is your moment to shine. So like this is the time when you are going to pick your most interactive and polished, you know, lesson that you give. Um, and so for me, I always gave a teaching demonstration where I talked about the psychology of love. Um, and so, you know, I mean, at this point, that lesson is so polished, like it needs to be, I could do a TED talk, honestly. Um, you know, like I have this very specific activity that I know that people love, right? I have all these specific teaching or sorry, discussion questions that I know people want to talk about. Um, and so I think there is just like absolutely no shame whatsoever in like picking your best, right? Cause you want to put like your, your best foot forward. Um, and oftentimes, at least in my experience, I was allowed to pick whatever I wanted to teach about. Um, 
And so I don't know. Was that your experience, Jacob? I said I have a mix of the two. So one was uh, very much uh, give a teaching talk, period. And I like even so I'm like, would you like it on particular topic? They're like, no, just give a teaching talk. And then the second one was very much uh, we want a lot of our students are going to be applying for social psych in the next semester. We want you to kind of give them an intro to social psychology as a lecturer and like go uh, for like, one okay. of those topics. And okay. so like for me, that was like a very general theme of like, let me choose a social psych topic. And my presentations nowhere, no, nowhere near as good as yours of getting like 500,000 oh. views on Instagram or whatnot. <laughs> but like I chose attraction and intimacy um, and I made it for the, uh, uh, why I'm including this is uh, that personalization aspect. Um, I had this activity where I talked about like, would you be attracted to this person, right? And it was like a question mark profile. And I was saying like, this person is strong, both mentally and physically. This person is flexible, again, mentally or physically. This person is typically attractive. They're always there for their, they have great school spirit. They're trying to do X, Y, Z, right? Um, and all these like positive characteristics. And where I got that description from was the school's mascot website. And so I was like, how many of you would be attracted? And I revealed it. And I'm like, oh, it was so and so all along. And I think it was like a beaver. <laughs> so they were like, oh, God. So like stuff like that of, will you say polish? Girl, you polish that. You said no mm -hmm. shame. No shame. If your department mm -hmm. doesn't give you opportunities formally, I think I went to you. I went to Alexa. I went to like at least five other people, even when I thought it was polished, to get even their out, get people who are non-academics. When you're doing your research talk, especially, I only had to do one of those. The rest were like teaching talk. Um, remember that sometimes there are students in the audience. So like, yes, you want to stay data focused, but that science communication skill. Absolutely. Create a roadmap because one of the job, one of the points of the research talk, unlike a conference, is a conference is your study is like a one and done. Here's my intro. Here are my results. Have a great day. In a research talk, though, where you're possibly getting looked at hard, what you're trying to show them is that you have plans, that you have a foundation. Yes, you're reviewing that foundation, the studies you've done, but you have a trajectory of things you could be doing here. And like you said, and how do you involve students in that? Right. Yeah. I did studies one and two. This is building up to my current research question number three. I would love to involve Cassie, the graduate student. I would love her to get this experience and help her get a publication along with me. Like that's the message you're trying to sell. It's not just like this isolated study, but that your, your future goals align with the departments and that you can see a future together and that they know that you have a future plan. Like, yeah, I'm not sure if that makes sense. But like, no, absolutely. It's a good journey and that you're presenting them. Yeah. And I think if you are like Jacob and I, in that you want a, a job at a teaching focused institution talking about how student focused you are and making sure you're actually talking about how much you care about students and like students and plan to involve students and support students right and incorporating that and building it as much as you possibly can into things like your research talk and your teaching demonstration are I think just really critical for impressing a hiring committee and impressing a department. Um, and in thinking about the, the teaching demonstration a little bit more, the last thing that you want to do is just get up there and lecture. 
so like I, I think I said when I was talking about, you know, my teaching demonstration, I try to make it a super interactive thing, right? You want people to be doing some sort of activity. You want them to be talking, right? Maybe talking to you as like a whole group. Maybe you want to get them into, you know, small groups and do some kind of think, pair, share, right? You want people to be talking. You don't want to be what they call it, the the sage on the stage. You don't, you don't want to be pulling that as your teaching demonstration. I think you told me that last time. I forgot that saying, the sage on the stage. Definitely. And to the one point of clarification for me I had was sometimes I'm like, well, what if it's like mostly faculty, right? And they're asking to do a teaching demo. Do you just say like, all right, well, in this point of the presentation, I would do a think picture because you're like, these are people who might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. You're like, am I going to really make them do a think picture of other faculty on like an intro mm-hmm. psych topic? The answer is yeah. I mean, unless they specify otherwise, do it like you're actually teaching and that they are your students, right? They are taking on that role. Get them involved and be excited for them like they were your students, right? There's not like a, and you'll be surprised how many of them get into it. So I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. They're not like yeah, cool I, kid Kyles. They're like, let me, I want to, I want to talk about this. I'm like, okay, cool. It sounds like it's going to be super awkward to treat faculty like they are your students, but it's not, I promise. I never had that experience in like all of the interviews that I did. And I don't think that you did either, Jacob. And and yeah, like they get really into it. And, you know, ideally you're teaching about something in your demonstration that, you know, you know a lot about and have a lot of fun with. And sometimes I think we forget that, you know, when you get a PhD, right, you become a, a, a psychology professor, usually like your area of study is like something that's super niche, right? So like if you're the only social psychologist in the room or like one of just few, right? It's probably really cool for them to be learning about or at least reviewing these concepts that they probably haven't revisited in a while. And especially if it's your most polished one, you probably have a unique spin on it where even if they know the content area, you're still interesting them on the presentation of that content. Absolutely, yeah. I would like to highlight before we move post this interview, right? Um, just acknowledging how exhausting. And everyone's going to tell you how exhausting the day is going to be. And I knew it was going to be exhausting. And when you're there or you have dinner, right? And you have to figure out, do I drink? Do I not drink? What's their stomach? Do you follow their lead, right? And you get back to your hotel and you're all charged up and energized in the drill. And at least for me, as soon, as soon as I hit that bed, all the fatigue, all the of being on, all the, I just, I lay down. I'm like, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm, I'm so, like I said, fatigued, tired, exhausted. This yeah. was a long day. Like it, it's a long day. Maybe this is revealing my neuroticism, but Every single time I had a job interview, you know, I'm a very introverted person. I don't know if I come across that way often, but I am so introverted. And like Jacob is saying, these interview days are all day long, right? You are on 100% of the time, you know, for like maybe 12 or 14 hours. And so I would get done with my interview. I would either like get to my car or like I would get back to my hotel room. And I would just immediately start sobbing. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Not not in a way of like, oh, my God, I'm so sad. But like, I was just so tense. 
Like, mm-hmm. and it was just like all of the tension leaving my body. Cause crying is like very cathartic for me. Like I, I cry a lot because it just like helps me anyway. I'm talk- I'm anyway talking about it's okay. Therapy. We're learning. <laughs> we get real here on the podcast. Yeah, we get real here at corrupting the youth. Um, but yeah, so I think it's just so important to make sure that like the week that you have a job interview is to engage in as much self-care as possible and try to make sure, you know, you're eating right and you're exercising and you're getting the sleep that you need. You're talking to your therapist if you need to, you know, you're consistently taking your your medications if you need to, um, because they are, yeah, they're a lot. They're so draining. It's It's a lot of self-presentation and if you are especially someone who is introverted, it's going to take it out of you. Um, I distinctly remember being on an interview and the the chair of the hiring committee who was, you know, sort of like my guide through the entire day was like, do you want to sit in my office by yourself for like 15 minutes? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, okay, go go like recoup, right? Have a minute to yourself. And I was like, oh, so I do think that a lot of the times, like they recognize you need a break, right? You need a minute to yourself to catch your breath. Um, but, but yeah, definitely start mentally preparing yourself for, it's like, it's like running a marathon. I mean, I've never ran a marathon, but. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We're really just. (laughs) That's the cup for today. It's like running around. Just kidding. I've never run one, but yeah, that metaphor is not going to work. For you're me on it, Cassie. What that's like. <laughs> I think people are picking up what you're putting down, though. I think so. I think so. I would say to add on to what you're saying, Cassie, is this idea of also giving yourself a little bit of grace that you might have probably flubbed up an answer or two. And to not overthink it too much, right? Because you can always be like, I prepared for this question for two weeks and they asked me that question and I froze or like I started stumbling. That that happens. That, that That's okay. And I mean, in your head, you're like, oh my God, oh my God. They said like, how do I care about how will I involve students in my research? And I said, yes. And you know, it's like, it's it's okay. It, it's okay. They're They're looking to see if you're a good fit. And yeah. if they're already the type of institution where like one answer is the make or break, that's probably already not a good fit for you. Unless you really prefer like that's the type of like standard. But for me, that wouldn't be a good fit for me where it's like one wrong move and now it's all done. And yeah. typically after the second phase of the interview, they will let you know one way or the other, right? Like this is typically where you don't get ghosted. Um, it's actually, if you get um, offers, you have to balance a different type of scenario. Um, and that's is what if you have a rank one, rank two, and rank three school, and your rank two school gives you an offer, and the timeline they typically give you that offer for is like, for me, which seemed really, really fast, was I think like five business days, right? It wasn't like two weeks, but I think it was like five business days. But also your rank one school has expressed that they're interested in you and they'll contact you soon. They'll contact you in two or three weeks. The situation is you have a for sure, possibly tenure track job, your dream job, where you know that it's hard to get a yes from even one place. 
and you got it and you got it from a place that you like that you really enjoy the people and you could see yourself working there but there's a different school that for whatever reason it could be location right it could be because it's closer to your family like for me like that was a big thing close to my grandparents and now my grandma um I had this conversation with you, Cass, and I think you had this conversation with me. So it's like, that is a decision I think almost nobody can give you really good advice on because I'm not sure there is a right answer. There's a predisposition to like risk-taking. And typically I would say I'm very, very risk. When it comes to like my future and career stuff, I think I tend to be risk-averse. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that I could, after going 10 years, over a decade after high school, working up to this day, that I have an egg in hand, right? I have something firm in hand, a for sure thing. And am I going to gamble that away for a school that is higher in my rankings when I have a good thing already? Right. And I did actually choose to gamble, like, after a lot of thought. And I mean, like, you remember, I was going back and I was going forth and I was saying yes, then I was saying no. And again, they're only giving you five days where that school is like, we need an answer kind of like right now. I know. I know. It's it's hard to navigate. I remember us talking when you were in that position. Yeah, I remember us talking when you were in that position. And I was like, wow, I would really hate to be in Jacob's shoes right now. And then a few months later, (laughs) I was you're in my shoes and i'm like yeah and then a few and you're like jacob what do i do and i'm like i don't know like right i couldn't even give you i'm just like all i could say is like i'm here if you need me to talk it out but like you get advice from like creating like pros and cons lists to go with your gut to imagine for a day that you made your i think like alexa gave um that advice where she's Mm -hmm. like imagine that you said yes to them already and commit to it for just a day and at the end of the day Check your gut. See how does it feel? Like, do you feel regret? Do you feel guilt? Do you feel excited? And I think that was also good advice that we got from our, or at least Alex gave to me. I'm not sure if she gave it to you, but just like mentally try it out. Yeah. Cause I was in a position where, you know, it was like, I really liked the people. I really liked the institution, but it wasn't, you know, and I ended up obviously coming to my alma mater. Um, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that. And so, oh, like, I think I would have been happy there. And my partner and I talk about this all the time. Like there is absolutely like a version of us in an alternate universe where like I accepted that job and we have like this, this different life where we're still really happy. Yeah, I I completely agree. It would be a different life, but like, it still would be a great one. Like it'd be a good one. It'd just be different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's just something to be mindful of, of maybe if you could start thinking about it. And it's hard to like mentally prepare for that. Like, what would I do um, until you're actually in it? Because then everyone's like, it's almost a given. Like everyone's like, well, you're going to say yes, right? And it's like. Right. Well, I was also in the position where like, as I was making this decision, you know, I had to think about how it affected my, my partner who I lived with. You know, and like, was she going to be able to to find work if I accepted that job? And so when I turned down the offer, which we'll talk a little bit about turning down an offer too, but when I turned down the offer, you know, they were just super nice about it. And we're like, you know, we know it's a hard decision, especially when it's a decision that affects other people's lives. And I was like, you guys really do understand. Yeah, like I said, everywhere it was really sweet. One of the places I I rejected, 
And again, the chair there, she was so lovely. She was like, she was like me, but like an older psychology woman yeah. with the dark yeah. humor and the fun and the jokes. And I'm like, oh my God, we would have a blast. Her and I would probably be like BFFs because she'd place your ass. Like that's how cool <laughs> she was. And when I was like, my grandmother in California is like extremely important to my grandparents are there. She's like, listen, I would want my grandkids to be near me. I think you're making the right choice. Like no guilt whatsoever. She's just like, thank you for letting me know. It really sucks. We, you know that we would have loved to have you here, but we are really excited for your future. And I'm like, oh my God, stop not feeling anymore. You know, that was literally, I literally felt bad rejecting them. Like in dating, when you like tell someone no, you're like, I'm sorry. I'm I know, sorry. yeah. I wanted to tell her I'm sorry for saying no to you. It, it sucks. Like there's just so much rejection involved in the job process, right? Like you're getting rejected. You have to reject other people and it's... Oh yeah, it's it's really reminiscent of dating. Yeah, but there is a resource out there that I like to use of how to craft those types of email templates, and we can include it. Um, where I got it from was uh, one of our past guests, Dr. Summer Braun, who does like a lot of mindfulness and teacher um, emotional health and well-being. Um, she recommended this book called "The Professor Is In." It's also a blog online. It's a very popular book. It goes over advice for academics starting from graduate school all the way to what you should be doing to get tenure. And so like she basically, I forget her name. I think it's Karen Kilsky. And we can link it there. Of uh, She has basically she's blogged so much about different aspects that she put all her blog into a single book called The Professor's In. And so some of those chapters are dedicated of how to negotiate, what to ask for in your budget sheet, how to reject. And in that book and in these blogs that are online has an email template of just not like how to tactfully do this without being rude to anyone with being respectful showing that you're not trying to burn any bridges with them because again i didn't want to burn bridges with the people i met at these other institutions yeah. and so there's there's a good way of doing it besides saying no lol you know like <laughs> we watch you i need this book yeah and like i said it's, it's in a book format um and then there's also it's in blog format, like separately, but both work. Um, some of the advice, as a disclaimer, I really like, and some of the uh, advice, I don't. Um, and I think that's okay. I think that any book that's trying to give you advice, pick what works for you, like what advice rings true. Um, there's sometimes, I guess, again, there's sometimes a conflicting advice. So sometimes um, she would advise that while you're in the interview, talk about your dissertation and market yourself so they know what research you do. And I think like in a different blog, which is also a different chapter in the book, don't stop talking about your dissertation. No one wants to hear about your dissertation. You talk about your dissertation too much, right? And I'm like, well, chapter Thank blah you. says this, and your other chapter says this. This seems like polar opposites. But yeah. if you get them the advice of find the balance of it depends. I wish yeah. there was a third chapter that says it depends. Yeah. Some people, sometimes it's really appropriate to talk about That's yourself, and sometimes it's not. Um, so just as a disclaimer, but I think in those types of points, especially the negotiation, the startup funds and the rejection letters, the resources that person she provides, amazing. Absolutely stellar. I was like, I love this. I need to like copy, paste this, give this to people. Um, and I'm going to give it to our listeners. <laughs> amazing. So we hope that that all of that information wasn't super overwhelming and actually helps orient you to 
what the job market looks like from two people who have, again, very recently been on the job market. Um, And I think I kind of want to end on a note of like, if you get the offer and you sign that offer and you have a job, really spend some time enjoying that moment right? Because it, it it is in many ways, you know, the culmination of all of your hard work. If you end up in a position where you don't get the job offer though. Just know that that's kind of, one, it's also almost a, a fact of life in academia that the most common response you're going to get is a rejection. And just know that if they already, one, interviewed you for a Zoom call on paper, they loved you. And that sometimes you could be the person who's number four, number five, that you just didn't quite make the top three. Because sometimes there's just so many applicants. But the fact that they want to interview you shows that you made to their top some of their top choices. That's something important to acknowledge. And if they were to interview you in person, just know that means that you are qualified and that they could see there. And they're just sometimes it's just a luck of the draw of like a culture fit or like some person just really got along with one faculty really well or stood down that way. It says nothing about you, your value or your character. Don't let that rejection be internalized. And going to the point, if you get that acceptance, I think it reiterating what you said, Cassie, of enjoy it, celebrate. Um, why I think you're mentioning that, or at least why I think you're mentioning that, is that during this time of Christmas season, and now you're in the spring semester, you might be in your final semester of your PhD, is that that's also dissertation season. That's also you being stressed and you writing and you analyzing data and there's so much going on and you're like, I'm too busy to celebrate. Celebrate, right? They're hiring you based off your dissertation will get completed. You know you will complete it. So take a breath and celebrate. Absolutely. And so Godspeed to all of you currently on the job market. Even Um, that one asshole. That one asshole, even, God speak to even you that too. one asshole. I mean, I don't know why you're still here after all this. Um, They're also masochists. You... It's fine. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, sh- should you guys like have <laughs> any questions for us? Our social media, as always, is always open. And so is our email. So let us know, like, let us know your burning job market questions, like what maybe you still want some advice about. Um, But otherwise, definitely, definitely check out the show notes for this one because we're going to link lots of good resources for you guys. Um, And we'll, we'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Hey again, we want to thank you once more for listening to Two Random Weirdos. If you want to listen to us ramble some more, We'll be posting episodes bi-weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you want to get in touch with us, we can be found on Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram with the handle at CorruptYouthPod. Or feel free to email us at CorruptingTheYouthPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and helping us spread the corruption. Bye. Bye.